Growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Is it any wonder that America is headed in the direction that it is morally and every other way, like a downhill runaway freight train with a full head of steam up? Is there any wonder that that's happening? I don't know if you've noticed, but it's election time. Well, the reality is you'd really have to be off the grid not to know about the election season we are right in the middle of. Political ads fill the television and radio, news and talk shows discuss it constantly, and the late-night hosts are having a field day with the candidates. Those running for office seem to talk like they have the solution, they have the answers, you can trust them, but is it the truth? Has it ever been more prevalent, more prominent in our culture and our world than it is today? Boastful, prideful, arrogant, fleshly, deceptive. And that's just the presidential campaign. Of course, that's a question every voter has to decide for themselves. Knowing the difference between truth and lies is important, but nowhere is it more important than when it comes to who or what is going to be the focus of your life. Every person has to decide sooner or later, is God right or have they got it right? Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. Today in our series, Building on the Basics, Pastor Clay is taking us to 2 Peter chapter 2, where we find that Peter has some sobering words about false teachers and those who follow them. God takes his truth very seriously, and we should as well, because for those who follow the teachings of those contrary to God's truth, the consequences will be eternal. Now here's Pastor Clay with today's message. It is uh, Palm Sunday, and, uh, you know, as, as new people come into the church, people that come out of a non-church background, or, or perhaps even people that sometimes grow up in church, they're not really sure, well, what is Palm Sunday? And Ivy was sharing a little bit about it the, this morning. Uh, if you've read uh, the, the story that's uh, called the triumphal entry of Jesus uh, the week before his crucifixion, is where the whole idea of Palm Sunday comes from. It's a week before Christ was crucified. He's, uh, he's been coming up, he's been ministering different places, but he's been coming up to Jerusalem uh, for the Passover, uh, for what he knows is going to be his, his crucifixion. But uh, as, as, uh, as, he's, as he's coming and as he's hanging out outside the city, he would come into the city during the day, he'd go back out. This is not the sermon, by the way, this is the, this is the, the preamp to the sermon. So, uh, but, uh, you know, excitement was building about this guy and he's performing these um, amazingly incredible things and and people are asking could, could could he really could this guy be the messiah and remember uh or you may not be familiar but but jews were looking for this messiah the it's it's christ it means in greek it's christ it's savior they've been looking for this guy as the video we saw this morning pointed out they had a misconception about what this savior was going to do when he came but but they're looking for him and so they're getting excited about jesus and as he comes into jerusalem that week before his crucifixion uh, people gathered on the sides of the roads. They said, hey, Jesus, you know, he's coming. He's only two more miles outside of town. I mean, they're really excited. They're stoked about this guy. And as he comes in, they start, they've cut down a bunch of palm branches and they start, uh, lay, some, some of them are waving them. Some of them are laying them down in the path. They take off their coats and stuff. That was uh, uh, not just Jewish, but it's just kind of a, a cultural thing of that part of the world or certainly that time period in the world uh, that uh, was, a, was a, usually something reserved for uh, kings and for conquerors. And so uh, symbolically, they were acknowledging that, that their king, their conqueror, was entering the city. It was a very, you know, amazing moment, I'm sure, 
to be a part of it. And they're, they're even uh, shouting out, you know, Hosanna, which basically was like a, was just like a pra- an exuberant praise or a, a, a display of joy or something like that, uh, that actually had its roots uh, in deliverance. And so they, again, whether they fully comprehended it, and I don't think they did, whether they fully comprehended it, they were, they were praising God for their deliverer who was entering the city, their king, their conqueror. They're laying down the palm branches. And they even quote it from Psalm 118. It says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That was a direct quote from Psalm 118, a, 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 what's called a messianic uh, psalm. And all of it was fulfilling a prophecy in, uh, in Zechariah that talked about, behold, your king comes meek or lowly, riding on a donkey, on the foal of a donkey. And, uh, and so all of it's fulfilling this prophecy and all of it's part of God's plan as, as he's coming into that. It's an amazing, amazing time. It's hard to believe just a, a week later that pro- almost certainly some of the same people who are lining the road shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Almost uh, a week later, no doubt, almost certainly some of those same people were shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Because they, they didn't really understand that's interesting, I, I said that Jesus comes riding in in a donkey, which he does. It's interesting that that, that falls on today because as we've been working our way through the book of, uh, well, James and then First Peter, now Second Peter, Peter mentions a story of a guy riding a donkey uh, today. So it's kind of coincidental there, uh, although it's for very different reasons. I'm glad you're here today. If you have a copy of God's Word with you, open it to Second Peter chapter 2. Peter's going to be talking about, and I just as I said to somebody this morning, uh, and I'm, just, I'm, I'm reading the entire chapter this morning, Lord willing, time permitting, we're going to go through the whole chapter. And I know you'll find it hard to believe with me, but that's what we're going to attempt to do, um, because the whole chapter is basically Peter's just lowering the boom on false teaching and on the consequences of those that false teaching on, on people. What The consequences for the false teachers, but the, the consequences for those who follow that false teaching. A teaching. So it's, uh, it's kind of, you know, it's, it's just one of those kind of messages, uh, folks, but uh, uh, don't, don't shoot the messenger boy. I'm just, that's just my job, right, to, to do that. Second Peter chapter 2, um, let's read this morning, and it'll take a little bit of time, but I'm going to read the entire chapter to put it in a context, because as we go through it, I'm going to break it up a little bit, and, and I think you'll understand. But the false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you. Who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. It will be attacked. It will be persecuted. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgments, and if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, and if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter. And if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for by what he saw and heard that righteous man while living among them felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. 
Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. And especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority. Daring, self-willed, they do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties. Whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. But if these, like unreasoning animals, born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed. Suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong. They counted a pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are stains and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with you. Having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Baor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he received a rebuke for his own transgression, for a mute donkey, speaking with the voice of a man, restrained the madness of the prophet. These are springs without water, mists driven by a storm, for whom the black darkness has been reserved. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome, The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment handed on on to them. It has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its vomit and a sow after washing returns to wallowing in the mire. Okay, everybody collectively. Right? I mean, that's... Do y'all understand what I said when I said he lowers the boom? I mean, it's just like, oh, not a lot of compassion in there. Not a lot of mercy in there. You don't hear a lot about in there. Listen, there comes a point. I'm just telling you, God, God, that's, that's what makes mercy so great is the fact that, that, that there comes a point where the boom is lowered. Anyway, I, I want to point out some things from chapter 2 that I, I hope we can find. There's so much more we could say and all that kind of stuff about some of this, but, but let's, let's get into it this morning. Let, let's start with this. There is a presence of false teaching. We have to start with that, with that premise. There's a presence of false teaching. This, uh, this is a problem. It has been a problem apparently since the very beginning. Uh, you could even say that go all the way back to the garden. Satan essentially was acting as a teacher when he, when he uh, convinced Adam and Eve that life basically on their terms was going to be better than life on God's terms. He was instructing, he was telling them, you know, you, you're not going to die. You're going to be like God. You're going to be, and, and they, they bought the lie, right? So false teaching has always existed and apparently always will exist uh, un- until the end of time. It is, it is this, uh, this, I would define false teaching as anything that is contrary to God's truth, that ultimately that's what false teaching is. Certainly in this context, Peter is uh, speaking primarily of false religious 
teachers. Or if you want to exchange the word religious, uh, false spiritual teachers. But since our spiritual, the spiritual aspect of our life is actually supposed to uh, influence every aspect of our lives, right? Right? It's, uh, our, the spiritual aspect of my life should influence every part of my life. It should, invo- it should, it should influence how I, how I talk to my wife, how I treat my children, how I... Uh, spend my money, how I vote, how I, all of those kind of things that it, it, the spiritual should, should influence that. So, uh, since that is the case, then I would say that in a broader uh, context, that this idea of false teaching would apply to anybody, whether, whether it appears on the surface to be a, a religious teaching or not, it would apply to any false teaching. You see, you understand what I'm saying? Any false teaching would, would be this idea. And it's an understanding that there is this presence of false teachers. 23 times, I think it is, uh, in the Bible, uh, it, it refers to the idea of false teachers or false prophets. Uh, Jesus refers to false teachers as ravenous wolves in uh, Matthew chapter 7 and verse 15. Peter takes that exact same phrase and uses it in Acts chapter 20 and verse 29. It is, it is this false teaching and its presence in our lives. It is there. It is going to be there. You have to recognize that it's there. It is part of the world in which we live. There will be false teachers in, in, in this world. Okay? Let me give you, let me give you some examples. Just, and I just, they, some of them just popped in my mind. This is no, no random order. <laughs> and, and, I, and it's Dr. Bart Ehrman. Dr. Bart Ehrman uh, ironically, is considered a New Testament scholar. He is the distinguished professor of religious studies at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. He teaches class on spiritual, on religion, on the New Testament, on Scripture in general. Because of his bias against supernatural. Do you understand what I mean when I say that, a bias against supernatural? In other words, somebody says, I just don't believe that supernatural stuff happens. I don't believe in miracles. And I, and I know I say that funny, okay? Everybody tells me. And you say, you say miracles funny. Because of his bias against miracles, against the supernatural, Dr. Bart Ehrman simply dismisses out of hand all of the, all the recorded uh, miracles and most of the events of the New Testament. He says they just didn't happen. Uh, the early church simply made it up. He denies the deity of Jesus Christ. He denies the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. He denies the, the uh, authority and accuracy of Scripture. He is, in my opinion, the perfect representation of what the Apostle Paul was talking about, uh, I think, in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, when he says, they will maintain the outward appearance of religion. This guy teaches a religious class. He's the foremost authority in our nation, but will repudiate or deny its power. And I'm just saying, you might take Paul's advice when he says, so avoid people like these. Listen, thousands of students are required to take his, his uh, religious classes. He's written at least five New York Times bestsellers, which means millions of people have come under the influence of his teaching through his, uh, th- through his, uh, his authorships. And listen, he's not the only one. I, I don't think it would be a stretch to say the majority of, of professors, particularly religious professors in, uh, in, uh, public and, and even most private institutions, colleges and universities in our nation would line up right with most of what Dr. Bart Ehrman says. Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of students influenced by the teachings 
that, that they are proposing that denies the very deity of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the authority of Scripture, despite what, in my opinion, is the clear empirical evidence uh, to the contrary of that, the clear empirical evidence of the deity of Christ, of the resurrection, of the accuracy and authority of Scripture. Despite all of that, they're leading hundreds of thousands of people Plus, you can add a few million when you consider their authorship. Is it any, is, really, I mean, honestly, I'm just, this rhetorical question, but is, is it any wonder that America is headed in the direction that it is morally and every other way, like a, like a downhill runaway freight train with a full head of steam up? Is there any run, wonder that that's happening? Because that is the influence of our, and it is false teaching by definition because it is contrary to what God says in his word. They simply deny the truth. Let me give you another one. Richard Dawkins would be an example. Wouldn't necessarily consider it in the religious field, although it enters into that. Religious Richard Dawkins is uh, an author, a a speaker, a professor. Um, He is probably the uh, leading militant, what what I consider militant atheist in, in the world today written numerous, numerous books, most notably probably The God Delusion, where he, again, simply dismisses the idea of a supernatural order, a supernatural creation, uh, d- dismisses the idea that, 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 that what you see around you requires a God, that despite all of the, uh, the, that when you walk outside today and the spring flowers, the dogwoods are starting to open up and the red buds and, and you know, all that kind of stuff, when you walk out there today or tomorrow when the sun comes out, if it does, or whenever it is, and you begin to look around at all the beauty and, and the birds and, and you listen and all that kind of stuff, that, that Dr. Dawkins would say, despite the obvious beauty and, and creativity and complexity in what you see around you, despite what, what it may appear to be, despite, despite the complexity in, all, in so many of the systems that, that we have, such as the solar system and the ecological system and the cardiovascular system, that while, yes, that certainly uh, appears to be by design, uh, which would require a designer of enormous uh, wisdom and power and strength, a.k.a. God, although it would appear that way, Really, all of it simply happened purely by accident. Technically, I guess you would say by billions of accidents. Accidentally occurring in the perfect sequence of order so that we actually end, accidentally ended up with what appears to be an extremely complex creation. And millions of people have bought the lie. I'm just telling you, I'm just saying it's, just, it's false teaching. It's what people buy into. And every person has to decide sooner or later, is, is God right or have they got it right? That's a decision every person has to make. Let me give you another one. Oprah Winfrey. Now, hold on a minute, Clay. She is a television personality, first off. She is a nice lady. She helps lots of people. And she has even professed her belief in God. Who's preaching this, Paris? Me or you? <laughs> <laughs> no, keep it up. I like it. I like response. No, that she has even espoused a, a belief in God. But here, here please understand this. And, and listen, can I say this? Oprah Winfrey, I, I've never met her personally, but I, she strikes me as an incredibly nice lady. I think she must be. And she has helped lots of people. And she's given away lots of cars. <laughs> right? I wouldn't say no if she wanted to give me one. 
Right? She, she's, man, she's done, she's, done, she's done lots of good and started schools in, in Africa for, for women, girls. and oh, She's done lots of good stuff. And yes, she does espouse a belief in God. But please understand that the God that she espouses to believe in is contrary to the God revealed in Scripture. You just have to understand that. Oprah believes in a God that you can approach in multitudes of ways. You, you just, whatever, pick a religion or, or even not a religion, just, just be good. And, and you're, you're going to be able to approach that God and you get to that God. Is that what God's word teaches? No, it's not, is it? One way. O- Oprah says that's ludicrous. That's crazy to think that there's only, that's what you, I've shown that video before sometimes you know, I've seen where she said there can't possibly be just one way, which will come as quite a shock to God when he finds that out, I'm sure. She, she, she denies the exclusivity of Jesus Christ, the authority of Scripture. She believes in a God, but is a God that's contrary to the God revealed in Scripture. And so it's, it, it is, and listen, Oprah's not been secretive about her spiritual beliefs. She's, one of her shows is even uh, life, life classes or life lessons with Oprah, right? She brings on different kinds of teachers, religious and non-religious, and they, and they instruct on life and how to live life and what's important for life and the bearing on life and your spiritual aspect and all that kind of stuff. And millions, I'm telling you, millions of people have, have bought into that. It's false teaching. All I'm saying, I say all that just to give some examples, just to say that there, there are, there always will be, false teachers, and they are, as uh, Peter says here, I think the, maybe it's the last part of verse uh, 1, they, are, they secretly introduce destructive heresies. In other words, it, secretly meaning that, that, that it, may, it may be subtle. It, it, may even, it may even seem practical or, or useful or, or believable. But it, if, it's, if, it is, if it contradicts, if, if, this, if we have established that this is truth in my life, if it contradicts that, then, then it's a lie. It's false teaching. You have to understand that it's all around you. On and on we could go. I'm not picking on those people. They were just three that came to mind. I thought of some other ones that might, you believe me. But, um, but the point is, there's never a shortage of false teachers. There never will be. And you have to understand that they, they're part of the culture in which we live. Second idea this morning is this. There is a poison in false teaching. It is what I believe, and I think Peter's alluding to this a lot when we look at these verses, but there, there is, I believe, a common denominator that you'll find in almost all false teaching. Uh, let's, let's read it, and I'll just read it from the screen. Uh, verse 10 and 11, he says, And especially those who indulge the flesh, watch this, the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority, daring, self-willed, they do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties, Whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. In other words, uh, Peter's saying, God's angels, when, when they see stuff going on, they, they have enough respect to not even, they just let God, they know God's perfectly here. They don't go say, hey, hey, did you see what that guy was doing, God? But these guys, they're like, they, 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 have, they have no, no qualms about anything that they do. Uh, then picking up verse 13, they counted a pleasure... To revel in the daytime. They are stains and blemishes reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with you. It, it, they're, they're here. They're among you. They're in the world around you. Having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin. Watch this. Enticing unstable souls. Having a heart trained in greed. Accursed children. Forsaking the right way. They have gone astray. Having followed the way of Balaam. The son of Baor. Who loved the wages. Loved the wages. The, 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 what he received. The wages of unrighteousness but he received a rebuke for his own transgression for a mute donkey speaking with the voice of a man restrained the madness 
of the prophet. Then verse 18, for speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error. In other words, they're, they're constantly broadcasting this message, what they're saying over and over and over again. There is a common denominator. I'm telling you, if you look for it, in almost all false teaching, there is a common denominator. And the common nom- denominator is this. Prioritize the natural. That, that's what you'll almost always find. Did you hear it over and over again? Peter's talking about the flesh, the, the natural, the, the sensuality, the enticing, the, the, the this idea of the material, the natural, the fleshly world around us. That that's what you'll find. If you, if you are open to God's spirit's discernment in your life, what you'll find is that this common denominator exists, this thread that runs through false teaching, and it is a focus on the natural. It is a focus on the self. It is a focus on the world and, and a focus against not on God, not on the spiritual, not on the eternal, but on the here and now. It is greed, it is corruption, it is, it is uh, decadence, it is all that stuff that, right? You understand? It is the poison of the false teachers. And Peter gives an example. Up there in verse 15 and 16, he starts talking about Balaam and his donkey or ass, as the King James says. Y'all okay with me saying Ass. Are y'all okay with me saying ass? Because I'm going to keep saying ass until you say whether you're okay with me saying ass. That's how the King James puts it, all right? It's a, it's a, it's, it's a donkey. It's a, King James says it's an ass. It's a story. Uh, it's found in Numbers chapter 22. And uh, it's some of it's, I mean, some of it's tragic, but some of it's just comical to me. So I'm, uh, we're going to read it here in just a second, some of it. But, but let, me give you, let me give you the lowdown. Uh, Balaam is uh, what's considered a, a diviner, or, or you might say a prophet. He's not a Jew, but he seems to have knowledge of the one true God. Seems to understand who he is. Uh, Balak, who is uh, king of uh, somebody, some country, I can't remember. He, uh, he, he's, he's nervous because the Jews uh, are beginning to come into the promised land, and they're you know, taking the land that God promised to them hundreds of years before and all that kind of stuff. And Balak is nervous about that. And so Balak... Uh, sends for Balaam to come uh, to him and he, he's going to pay him to, to call down a curse on the Israelites. You with me? So basically, Balaam, son of Beor, is bought by Balak to bring a curse down on the brothers, the Israelites. I, try, I, try, I worked on it. So, so here's what he does. He called, 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 so, now, and at first, listen, here's the deal. First, uh, Balaam's like, oh... No, 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 no. I can, I can only speak what God tells me that I can speak. But then, when Balak sweetens the pot, so to speak, Balaam agrees to go and meet with Balak. And while he's on his way, God sends uh, an angel of the Lord. That's how it's described in Numbers 22. And an angel of the Lord comes and, and he's got his sword out. And he's, got, he's, he's about to rearrange uh, Balaam's anatomy. Uh, because because the, he's going contrary to what, what God instructed him uh, to do. And God allows the donkey to see the angel of the Lord. Balaam can't see him at this point. God allows the donkey to see him. And the donkey stops, sits down, and Balaam starts whipping his donkey because his donkey won't go. Right? You got it? Watch that. I want you to see this. It's, uh, to me, it's, some of it's just kind of comical. It says, when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. This made him so angry that he hit her with a stick. And then the Lord made the donkey talk. And she said to Balaam, what have I done to make you hit me three times? Now you would think, you would think if your donkey suddenly 
you know, turned his head and started talking to you, that that would be a reason to pause and to like, what? A talking donkey? Ass? That's crazy. But no, no. Balaam joins in the conversation like this just is an everyday occurrence. Look at what it says. Balaam answered the donkey, you made me look foolish. I wish I had a sword in my hand. I'd kill you right now. But the donkey said to Balaam, am I your very own donkey which you have ridden for years? Have I ever done this to you before? No. No, Balaam said. Then, the, watch this. Then the Lord let Balaam see the angel of the Lord who was standing in the road with his sword drawn. And then Balaam bowed face down on the ground. The angel of the Lord asked Balaam, why have you hit your donkey three times? Listen, God's, God knows, man. I'm telling you. Why have you hit donkey three times? Why have you hit your donkey three times? Well, I, I've stood here to, I have stood here to stop you because what you're doing is wrong. The donkey saw me. And turned away from me three times. If she had not turned away, I would have killed you by now. But I would have let her live. Y'all going to have to forgive me. But if he didn't say it, I guarantee you he was thinking it. At that very moment, that donkey was thinking, who's the dumbass now? <laughs> right? Who's the, who's the, who's the, no, I don't even want it. What, Lalo? <laughs> Are you just lifting your hand for giving me a witness? Okay, thank you. So, um, it, it's, it's this idea, and, and, and listen, listen, it doesn't end well for Balaam. It doesn't. He's eventually counted with the enemies of God because, and here it was, it was, this, it was this pull, it was this lure towards stuff, the material, the fleshly, that that was this lure towards this stuff that was so enticing to him that following that way was better than following the way of God, where God had said, no, don't do it. Don't have anything to do with it. These are my people. I've got plans for them. Don't even mess in this, Balaam. This is none, this is none of your, but he, but he couldn't do it. It is, it is the poison that pulls at the flesh. Do you understand what I'm, what I'm saying to you? That's a characteristic that you can you can see it. Uh, if I got to pass the scripture with this in Romans chapter 1, verse 25, they treated the truth of God for a lie. They worshiped and served what had been created instead of God who created those things who should be praised forever. Do you see, the, see what Paul's saying there? They ought to be worshiping the spirit, the, the, the God, this God, the, the spiritual aspect of your life, but instead they're, they're worshiping the creation, the things that they have or can see or, or whatever the case may be. The poison uh, to this. That you have to recognize in the world in which we live. Okay, let me, uh, let, let me go on. There is a popularity to false uh, teaching. They are present with us. There's a poison in it and there's a popularity to the false teaching. Verse 2 says this. Many will follow their sensuality and because of them the way of truth will be maligned. Now, again, this is one of those deals where uh, there all, there's always been many who follow the way of, of sensuality, the way of corruption, the way of the, way of the world. Is, uh, you know, this idea that it's my life, I can do what I want, live it the way I want, that, that, that's what matters, that's the priority, the prioritize the natural. There's always been that, but I think I can say this pretty accurately, that within the context of our nation, never, never, never has our nation been as, as dark uh, and opposed uh, to the truth of God's word than it is now, than it is in the day in which we live. The influence of the world around us. This, it is the popularity of false teaching. And never in the history of our nation, maybe in the history of the world, has, has the truth been under greater attack than it is today. I mean, I mean it, it just is. Uh, you, you stand up and you try and talk about 
um, the biblical role of a husband in a marriage and the biblical role of a wife in a marriage and a wife's submission to her husband and exactly what that means and, and the rebellion that's in a wife's heart if she doesn't do that and, and the rebellion's in a, in a husband's heart if he doesn't love his wife uh, in, in the biblical way they're supposed to. You, you didn't talk about that and, and you're right, you're, 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 a, you're, a wife, you're a woman hater. You're, you're trying to keep women down, you're trying to keep them suppressed. When nothing could be further from the truth, when you understand the actual biblical roles of a husband and wife and the way God designed it, nothing could be further from the truth, but, but the truth is maligned, it is attacked. When you, when you stand up and you say, hey, the city of Charlotte's passage of an ordinance allowing men to enter winter, women's restrooms Public place, private place, whoever, men can now enter women's restrooms if they identify as, as a, a female gender. City of Charlotte just passed this a couple weeks ago. And, and you, you stand up and say that, that, it's, that it's dangerous, that it's unethical, and it's just plain wrong. You stand up and say that, and you're, you're a homophobic uh, bigot. It, it, is, it is the attack on, uh, on the truth. And the popularity of false teaching. You just find it all over the place. And it's, it's how it is. It's how it's going to be. And you just got to understand. You're going to be a mi- if you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to be a minority. If you're really going to follow him. Look, look at this. Matthew uh, chapter 7. Jesus, this teaching on this says, You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. That's, that's how it is. That's how it's always been. Apparently, that's how it's always going to be. But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few ever find it. And listen, please understand, it's not that God's hiding it. It's not that God's trying to make it hard to find at all. It's narrow because he's defined what it is. Jesus is the way, and he's the only way. And, and it means following him and his way. So that's very, it's very narrow. It's not a broad road. It's not, it's not Oprah's road or anybody. It's not, you can't. No, here's this narrow way. And, and he just, Jesus just says, there's just not many people ever going to find it. In the whole scheme of the billions and billions of people on the face of the earth who have lived on the face of the earth. Uh, look at this one in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Welcome to 2016. Right? I mean, is that, is that the world in which we live? And you can say, well, there's always been stuff like, sure, I'm not, I'm not saying there hasn't been. I'm just saying, has it ever been more prevalent, more prominent in our culture, in our world than, than it is today? Boastful, prideful, arrogant, uh, fleshly, uh, deceptive. And that's just the presidential campaign. This is the world. It's popular. And you just have to understand that it's, it's going to be here and, you, and you're going you're gonna to... But here, here it is. Here's where he goes with this. In, in light of all this, he says, there's a penalty for false teachers and false teaching. Here's the penalty. Look at it. It's starting in verse 3. He says, and in their greed, they will exploit you with their false words. Watch this. Their judgment from long ago is not idle. Do you understand what, what he's saying? God hadn't forgotten about this. It's nothing new. God declared from the very beginning is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. 
For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, And if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example of those who would live ungodly lives thereafter. Verse 9, and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. Verse 12, but these, like unreasoning animals, born as creatures of instinct to be... In other words, they're they're just living in the flesh, living their life, corrupting, doing whatever. It's all captured and killed, reviling. They have no knowledge, will, will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed. Suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong. There's a penalty for this, for this road. There's a penalty for saying, nah, it may be what God says, but I don't even know if I believe that stuff. But, uh, but, th- but, it's, but it's, this, this is more fun. It's more fun. And there's a penalty for that. Listen, if, if the Bible is wrong, if there is no heaven, there is no hell, if the, uh, if the evolutionists and the secularists and the humanists have got it right, that this is all there is to life, indulge in whatever or whoever, however much you want, that this is it, it's your life, live it the way you want. If, if, if they are right, if, if, if none of this matters, if none of this is, is actually true, then the Apostle Paul got it exactly right when he said this, if the dead are not raised, in other words, if there's no afterlife, there's no eternal, if, if there's no spiritual, real, no spiritual aspect to this, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. You know, understand what he's saying? Hey, dude, party like a rock star. If it doesn't matter, if, if, if there is no God, if there are no consequences, then you might as well live, live it out, man. Just indulge in whatever you want. I've been giving y'all some, um, my former pastor, and I grew up under Pastor Whipple, been giving you some Whippleism the last couple weeks. As Pastor Whipple used to say, Pastor Whipple used to say, get all you can while you can for as long as you can until you kick the can. You, you just, you might as well do it. But... That was awesome. Did y'all hear that? That was, like, that was like perfect timing. But if the Bible is true, if it's right, if there is a God who sits on his throne in heaven, who will judge someday ungodliness, unrighteousness, if there is a reality of that, then every single person would do well to think long and hard about which direction they're going to go, which road they're going to travel, what's going to be the priority of their life. Um, let me just... Uh, passed the scripture in Luke chapter 12. Then Jesus said to them all, watch yourselves. Keep from wanting all kinds of things that you should not have. A man's life is not made up of things, even if he has many riches. And then he told them a picture story saying, the fields of a rich man gave much grain. The rich man thought to himself, well, what will I do? Uh, I have no place to put all the grain I've got now. Then he said, I know what I will do. I'll take down my grain building and I'll build a bigger one. I'll put all my grain and other things I own into it. And I'll say to my soul, soul, you have many good things put away in your building. It will be all you need for many years to come. Now rest and eat and drink and, and just have lots of fun. And then Jesus closed out the parable. But God said to him, you fool, tonight your soul will be taken from you. And then who will have all the things you have put away? It is the same with a man who puts away riches for himself and does not have the riches of God. There's a, there's a payday coming someday, and there's a penalty, and you, and you have to decide which side of this, what, what priority is going to be for your life, and what's important, and, and whether, whether whatever fleeting moments 
you know, because that's what it is, folks. Listen, like I said, if, if they're right and, 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 and God is wrong and, or, or the Bible is wrong about all this stuff and this, these few fleeting moments is all we have on this little blue ball spinning through space, then go for it. But if there is a God, you need to understand that you will stand before him someday. Hebrews, you know this probably, Hebrews chapter 9, uh, verse 27. And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this, come, say it, judgment. After this comes judgment. It is the penalty of the false teaching and the belief in the false teaching, the buying in the false teaching, and, and following the false teaching of, of the priority of the flesh. And then real cl- quickly, closing out, uh, Peter finishes with this, with this idea. Uh, there is protection from false teaching. There is protection from, I think it's kind of, well, let me read it first. Uh, picking up in verse 7. Uh, and if he rescued righteous lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, uh, for by what he saw and heard, the righteous man while living among them felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. And then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation. There, there, there is this, this promise from God to be with us uh, through this process. God's uh, deliverance is possible uh, from this. He starts out, he first mentions in verse 5, uh, Noah uh, living in time of unrighteousness and, and, and God delivered him up and through that. It was, it was in God's timing, but God brought deliverance. And he talks about Lot and how Lot was just, it's just his, he, he was just felt tormented while he's living among all this, this ungodliness going on around him. He just felt tormented. You ever feel that way? You, you ever look around and say, my goodness, am I, am I the only one that's in this office that's trying to live godly? Am I the only one in this neighborhood that, that's trying to do, am I the only one in this family that, that tries to watch his mouth or, or, or live in a way that honors God? Or am I the only one at school that, that thinks that, that there is a God? And the, you, know, you know what I'm saying? You ever feel that way? A lot felt that way. Says, Man, I live in the midst of all this stuff. But God was true. God was with Noah. God was with Lot through all of it. This, this promise that God walks with you through it and that there is, there is this, this deliverance that's coming. And it's coming now and then. Let me explain what I mean. It's coming uh, now. There's protection from the influence of false teaching. In other words, uh, God makes it possible for us to not yield to those temptations. Because you're bombarded with them. Right? You're bombarded with them constantly. That go for this, have this, experience this, enjoy this, do that, whatever you want. It's your life, live it. There's no, there's no consequences. No, God promises that, that he'll protect us from the influence of false teaching. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it says, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to, say it, endure it. Man, I know there's times it's like, good grief. Am I, the only, am I the only teenage girl that's not giving up my virginity? Am I, am I the only uh, guy that's not uh, uh, interested in porn? Am I the only? It's the, you feel that there's your thoughts and God says, I'll, I'll walk with you through it. I'll deliver you from it. But it's going to start with me empowering you, influencing you to not give in to it. And then, then, the then, protection from the presence of false teaching. Ladies and gentlemen, someday there's coming a day when the very presence of false teaching will be no more. I, when will that be? I don't know. How soon will it be? I don't know. I wish I did. I wish I could tell you. I wish I was one of these guys that, that could read the newspaper and say, now look here, we can tell right from here that Jesus is coming back uh, October 7th of uh, next year. 
you know, but, I, but I can't do that. Can we look around and say, the world is, the downhill runs so fast, can this go on much longer? Can, is something, I, I don't know. It seems like, it seems like this thing's winding to an end, but, but I'm not God, he is. But I know that there's this promise, and this is a promise I want to leave you with this morning. I know we've got to close out, but I'm going to read, just turn you back to Revelation chapter 21. Hey, listen, just give me a word of advice. Every once in a while, every once in a while, it's just good to go read the back of the book. And be reminded how this whole thing turns out. You know what I'm saying? Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away. And there's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God, the dwelling place of God is among men. And he will dwell among them and they shall be his people. And God himself will be among them and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Right, for these words are faithful and true. And then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things and I will be his God and he will be my son. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. All the more reason for us to be willing to share this message this story, to live it out and to let it out to all those around us that we possibly can. Listen, I know the world is dark around us, right? I know there's lots of stuff that you look in corruption and people making bad choices and decisions. Some, some of them people that affect your very life, people you care about or love or, and they're making choices that are destructive or hurtful to you or whatever the case may be. But in the midst of all that, can I remind you, in the midst of all that, you and I, those of us who profess faith in Jesus Christ, are called to be light in the middle of that darkness. That's what Jesus says, Matthew chapter 5, you are the light of the world. The city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket. We don't just keep it right in here, but they put it on the lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That's our calling in the world in which we live. God will lower the boom. There's a judgment day coming. There's no question about it. But you and I, in the midst of all that, are called to live holy the way God, would, God, God wanted to, not, not the do's and don'ts that people get stuck with, but that how, what does God say? How, does, how are you supposed to live your life? And to let that light shine in those around us. I think it's safe to say that Peter holds nothing back in his description of false teachers and the judgment that awaits them and those who follow them. As Pastor Clay explained today, false teachers are all around us. It's not just those we think of as religious leaders, but it's really anyone who has an opportunity to influence people and teaches something contrary to God's truth. Chapter 2 of 2 Peter serves as a warning to everyone about the importance of God's truth in our lives and the consequences of buying into the lie that focuses on the material rather than the spiritual. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and 
purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. Many people at some point in their life feel disconnected with the type of life and faith they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting? If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I Get It from Lay Stevens? They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. Get your copy today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable for every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice real. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where they will find what they're searching for. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. A new church for people like you. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.